seat. I don't know. I see how it is. One, ten, fifty, thirty. Fine. Right here. Yes, me again. Um, thanks, Greg. I'm stoked about you, too. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to Crossroads. Welcome to the uh, final Saturday night service of this season. Um, great, things, great things ahead of us as a church. Anybody else notice um, uh, today was Rapture Day? I mean, I was making Rapture jokes like there was no tomorrow. Sorry, that's my last one, I promise. <laughs> Just had to get that one out of the way. Hey, it's, um, it's uh, uh, Acts chapter 9. We're in Acts chapter 9 tonight. Thanks so much. I preached that message on encouragement last week, and um, you guys like, took that to heart, and afterwards, you came up and encouraged me a lot, which was very kind. I hope that uh, was a helpful um, just concept for you in your week and that you weren't just a hearer of God's Word on that, but a doer as well. Today we are in Acts 9. So you know that stuff that, that's important, yeah, you, you need a Bible. Do we have anybody passing out? There, there they come. Especially all the kids there in the back row in the bleachers. They each need their own Bible, I think. Good. Or they can share. Hey, um, um, Bible is to sermon what scuba gear is to the deep sea, okay? You just need to have one in order to survive where we're about to go. So um, we're in Acts 9 um, today, and you know the stuff that's important gets repeated. Uh, stuff that's important gets repeated. And um, in the book of Acts, there's one story that's told three times. There's a story that's told Three times, there is a story that's told three times. In Acts chapter 27, it's told. In Acts chapter 22, it's told. And it's told in Acts chapter 9. This is the first of three. Why is this story told three times? It's because it's really important. It's because it's so jaw-dropping, supernaturally unbelievable that you don't really maybe even get it the first time you hear it. It's the story of the uh, conversion of the Apostle Paul. Um, who in his first initial name was Saul. You have to forgive me. I'm going to mess those up tonight. Okay, just, let's just get that out of the way. I want to say Saul all of the time, except after he's converted in a couple of chapters, they're going to change his name to Paul. But whether I say Saul or Paul, it's the same guy. You got it? Kids in the back, you got me? If I say the different name, okay, good. That thumb up means affirmation. Okay. Listen, because this, is a, this story, was t it's told three times in this book. Why? Because it's important, and for another reason, that um, the Apostle Paul, you know who I'm talking about back there, the Apostle Paul makes really clear in 1 Timothy um, chapter 1. You don't need to flip there unless you can flip pages that quickly, but 1 Timothy 1 says, I thank him who gave me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Here comes the story. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy, I'm skipping down to verse 16, I received mercy for this reason. So why are we here? What's the point of this story? Why is it three times in the book of Acts? For this reason, 1 Timothy 1.16, that in me, as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example 
to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This story is an example to us. Paul says, the story of me coming to Christ, the story of Jesus coming to the chief of sinners, (laughs) to a blasphemer, to a persecutor, to an opponent, and giving him mercy, the reason for that is an example to us. So what's an example of? Let's find out. (laughs) Let's find out. Um, Back to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Wow. Acts 9. But, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Let's pray. Almighty God, tonight you have given us the grace to join together to meet together, and to pray to you. You've promised that when two or three are gathered in your son's name, that you would be in the midst of them. So, O oh Lord, teach us tonight in, in this world to know your truth so that in the world to come we may know eternal life. It is in the name of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life we pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. So here we are, we're in Acts 9, 
A little bit of context before we come. What comes before Acts 9? You're right, Acts 8. Acts 8, as we remember from um, Neil and his teaching, um, British iPad, um, was teaching us about Philip going um, on the road. He was um, meeting that man on the road, the, the Ethiopian man. And if, as you remember, the Ethiopian man left rejoicing. Well, now this story starts with a man who is not rejoicing. This story comes in three sections, three scenes for our story. Scene one is verses one through nine. Scene one is entitled, A Bad Man is Shown the Light and is Blinded. Okay? Let's just walk through our text a little bit at a time and we'll see what we can find in here. It says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder. He's still breathing threats and murder? How long has he been doing that? Well, he's been doing that since Acts chapter 8, verse 3. He's been doing that for an entire chapter. While Philip was running around, um, running a revival through Samaria, Saul has been breathing um, threats and murder against the saints. Against the disciples of the Lord, Saul goes to the high priest, that's Caiaphas, we remember him, that's the guy from Jesus' trial, and asked him for letters, so that if he found any belonging to the way, we're in verse 2, it says, the way. Okay, what's the way? If you found any belonging to the way. It's the first time in the book of Acts it's referred to it. It's a description of the, of the Christians. It's probably other places in Acts it's referred to as the way of salvation, such as, I wrote it down here, Acts 16.7 and Acts 18.26. It's a type of behavior, but it's also describing a group of people that live that way. He's trying to find men and women who, bring, who live according to that way that he might go to Jerusalem. Okay. So Saul hates Christians, and he's out to stop the spread of the gospel. So what does he do? He goes and he gets letters so that he can take them to Damascus. That's six days' journey, 135 miles north. Okay? So let's just put this together here. Here's Jerusalem, right here. You with me, kids? Jerusalem. 135 miles north is Damascus, like here. Okay? 135 miles. It's a six-day journey. Paul's worried. He hates the gospel. He hates Christianity, and he wants to stop it. So his idea, how should I stop it? I need to go. I got to get ahead of this. I got to get up to Damascus. I'm going to go to the synagogue in Damascus and stop the spread of Christianity. Now, who knows, geography-wise, what's in between Jerusalem and Damascus? Samaria. Samaria is in between. So you have to know that the first time that this story was read to Christians, they burst out laughing at this point. This was, well, maybe they didn't burst out laughing. I don't know the culture at the time. But this strike, this is hilarious. This is hilarious. Because what's Saul going to do? He's a Pharisee. He's a good Jewish boy. What's he going to do? He's going to go around. He doesn't go, you don't go through Samaria. No, remember um, John 4 you know, like, the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. So, so Saul wants to stop the gospel. And his way to stop it in his mind is, i got to get to Damascus. So I'm going to go around Samaria, and I'm going to get to Damascus, and I'm going to find the synagogue in Damascus, and we're going to shut it down. We're going to stop this whole gospel thing. Meanwhile, the place he's driving around is having a Billy Graham revival going on. Philip is preaching the gospel. 
The Holy Spirit is descending on the Samaritan people, and Saul's over here on his way to Damascus. Well, first he's doing his letter-writing campaign, but his plan to stop this is, is foolishness. He's headed to Damascus. He's going around Samaria while the gospel itself is landing in Samaria and exploding. What happens at the end of Acts 8? Philip, just, Philip gets called by the Lord. It's time to go south. God grabs Philip, swings him down. Does he run into Saul? No, because Saul's not in Samaria. So Saul's going around Samaria like a good Pharisee would do. God grabs Philip, pulls him south. He's like, here's where we're going. It's not Damascus. We're not headed to a synagogue in Damascus. That's not where the gospel goes. The gospel is going to go to an Ethiopian going south, returning down to the Egypt. God grabs Philip. Here, give the gospel to this guy. And then this guy launches off. And then, like Elijah style, God grabs Philip and pulls him back up north. This is a hilarious story. The very gospel that Saul is trying to stop, he can't figure out. He, he understands it so poorly that he goes in a direction that doesn't even allow him to run into the thing he's trying to stop. This is going to be really funny when you hit um, Acts 21.8, because it says that Paul and um, Dr. Luke, and I think, is Barnabas with them? Maybe not. Um, maybe it's Silas at that point. They stay at Philip's house for a couple days. And I'm, I'm positive that's when the story gets put together. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You were in Samaria? That's right when I was trying to... Oh, man, that's great. Okay, so do you see this story? Here's God. The people are worried. Ananias, all of the Christians are worried. Saul, he's got letters. He's going to shut this whole thing down. And God's six steps ahead of him. Six steps ahead of Saul. Poor guy. Well, it's going to get a little crazier for him before it gets better. Next, let's slide over to verse 3. Now, as Saul went on his way, notice the contrast there between he's trying to stop people that are part of the way, and he's going on his way. That's different. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Okay, a light from heaven is Old Testament language for when God shows up. When God shows up in the Old Testament, very often it says there's a light from heaven. The theological term, if you want to um, uh, impress your seminary friends, is theophany. Okay, theophany, that just means God shows up. All right, so a great example of this is Exodus uh, 19, um, 16 through 20. That's the story of the uh, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. God is showing up in a very um, obvious visual way, and there's this light from heaven. And then you'll see also there, it says, it flashed around him. Again, that's another example. A lightning flashes in Exodus 19, several other places in the Bible, is an example of God's activity. Uh, let me just give you a couple here. Uh, Psalm 18, 14. God sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Uh, Psalm 77, 18. Psalm 97, 4. Psalm 144, 6. Ezekiel 1, 4. You get it. It's a lot of places. Lightning is God's activity in the Old Testament. Okay? So next, verse 4. Falling on the ground, Saul hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, kids, what happens when your mom says your name twice? When she says, Max, Max, why aren't your boots on? Trouble, right? The double name in the Bible. The double name in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean trouble. The double name in the Bible shows up at really key points. Think, um, well, think Abraham and Isaac. We um, have the privilege of going through Acts and Genesis at the same time, so you remember this, I'm sure. 
Remember when God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? He says, Abraham, Abraham, take your son who you love. Remember that? What about in Exodus 3 when God calls Moses at the burning bush? He says, Moses, Moses. Remember that? Um, A a third one, uh, when God calls the boy Samuel, kids. When God calls Samuel, he says, Samuel, Samuel. Isn't that great? Now Luke picks this up. Luke's got a couple of of different examples of this in his gospel. Uh, Luke 8.24, the disciples are in a lot of trouble and they say, Master, Master. Um, uh, Later when, um, when Mary's at his feet and Martha's running around and she says, Jesus, help me with this. Tell my, tell my sister to help me. He says, Martha, Martha. And, and when Simon Peter says that he'll always stay with Jesus, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And then maybe the most poignant one in the entire Bible, to my ears, might be um, Mark 15.34. Jesus on the cross says, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's, a, here's another example, this double name. Verse 5, Saul's answer. He said, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Well, I just told, I just explained to you how light from heaven and lightning was an indication that it's God. So why does Saul say, who are you? Shouldn't he know? Shouldn't he know? Why why is he confused? Why is he asking this question? Okay, here's my guess. The text doesn't say. Here's a guess. All in favor of, of me guessing? Okay, I didn't think so. Here's my guess. I think he sees the face. I think he sees a face, and he knows, doesn't Exodus, I wrote this down, where is it? Exodus 33.20 says that no one can see God and live. So I think Saul's looking, and it, Saul slash Paul, same guy, says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Corinthians 15 that, that he has seen Jesus. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 9 he says, um, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he says that he's seen Jesus. Is, so my guess, putting those two things together, I think he sees the light, there's the flash, he knows it's God, but he knows no one can see God and live, and he's seeing someone. And he's like, I'm not dead. It's like God, but I'm not dead. What's going on? So I think he goes, and he says, who are you, Lord? So he, he knows this is not just your average person, but he doesn't know quite who it is. And look how Christ responds. He says, Ego ami is the Greek right there. I am Jesus. Ego ami is the words that Jesus would say when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he said, I am the door. When he said, I am the bread from heaven. When he said, before Abraham was I am, ego me. he says, I am Jesus. Jesus, the name that calms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and breath and peace. Jesus, this name shows up. And you've got to know that Saul just, a lot of things got rewired for Saul in that particular moment. A lot of stuff that he had assumed was going one direction just flipped on him. Ever had anything like just crazy perspective switch? 
Saul had that times a ton. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So now Jesus draws this connection. He's going to connect who he is with his people. Jesus, ascended and exalted, is connected to his earthly followers. Remember he said um, in Luke 10, 16, Jesus said, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. Remember he said in Matthew 25, 40, the king will answer them, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did to me. So Saul, persecuting Christ's church, is persecuting the risen and exalted Jesus. Verse 6, rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. You will be told what you are to do. That sounds like a kid getting sent to his room. Are you with me guys in the back? This is, this is not like a soft invitation. This is not the, one of my favorite verses. Come unto me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. This isn't that. <laughs> this is, um, go to your room and we'll wait till your dad comes home. Right? This is pretty fierce. You will be told what to do is not a soft invitation. This is not the still small voice. Sometimes, Jesus, sometimes God speaks in a small, soft voice. This is not a sense of absolute dependence. This is a summons. This is a call. This is a command. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they saw no one. So this isn't something that Paul had a dream about. This is an objective experience that they can testify to. So 8, Saul rose from the ground. Remember he got he was knocked down? He rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, oh yeah, in one sense, he was seeing stuff much more clearer now than a minute ago. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Three days. Three days. What, what in the Bible happened in three days? What in the Bible? What do you got, Max? Yeah, so Jesus was in the tomb for three days. What else? What else was it? Three days was Jonah in the belly of a whale. was three days. Three days was Lech Lecha. That's Abraham walking to um, the land that God called him to. Three days. It's a picture. Hmm. It's, it's, it's a picture of, of death. It's also indicated by neither eating nor drinking. It's, wow, he's, you know, uh, in kids' terms, Saul is in timeout here. Pretty fierce. This is... Be very clear, Saul is not the hero of this story. This is not, Saul was not ripe for the picking. Saul didn't have his heart softened in the weeks leading up to this. Saul just got told. You know, a, a, a grown person talking, and he got resized and reoriented and changed. So scene one, a bad man is shown the light and is blinded. Now scene two, this is verses 10 through 16, a good man is shown the gospel and obeys. Now, this is verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Okay, well, Ananias needs a name change because there's another guy already in this book called Ananias, and he ended up being killed for being a hypocrite. So you don't want to be confused. I mean, what could be worse than having the same name as that guy? Whew. Okay, so verse, um, now, he's probably a Christian who's always lived in Damascus. He probably didn't flee Jerusalem. Um, Paul kind of alludes to that in Acts twenty-two twelve. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, 
here I am, Lord. Oh, well, that's great. That's how godly people respond when God calls you. Remember, that's how Moses responded to the burning bush. Here I am, Lord. This is how Samuel, the boy Samuel, responded. Samuel, Samuel. Here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. Isaiah said, um, here, I, here am I. Send me. This is how great men of God have always responded. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas. Oh, okay, well, there's a guy who has a worse name than Ananias. That would be worse than having the name Ananias would be named Judas. Any, anybody named your kids, any Judas Iscariots here? Anybody named their kid Iscariot? No? Okay, good. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. Saul, um, Tarsus is Saul's hometown. That's going to be a key plot point when we hit Acts 16. He's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. So apparently, there's the vision on the horse where he's told, get into Damascus and wait there. And then while he's there, he's been told, he's been shown Ananias is coming. But Ananias answered, Lord, Lord, maybe you haven't heard. I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. That's the, f- the first time in the Bible, by the way, that Christians are called saints. That's a, that's a nice little highlight there. It's one of Paul's favorite words later on. He's going to use that all through his letters, saints. How much evil Saul has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests. Priests? It was priest a minute ago. What happened? Not positive. It might be the high priest in his council. It might be that Annas guy. There's a little confusion there. To bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is like, maybe you haven't thought this through. Have you, have you thought about this one, God? Because I might have some information that you don't know. Okay, this happens. This happens. I've done it to God. Have you? <laughs> um, uh, famous people in the Bible who God said something to them directly, and they like, no, no. Who, who's in that list? Say it again, Jonah. Jonah was like, oh, Okay, I'm going this way then, right? Who else? Who else? There's a, a famous lady who laughed. Sarah, right? God's like, you're going to have a baby. She's like, <laughs> maybe you haven't heard. Like, it doesn't happen anymore. Who else? Who else? Remember Zechariah? Zechariah said, hey, you're going to have a boy named John. Zechariah laughed at God. At none of those things. God loves the, the authenticity of our reactions to him. But in faith, look, just look what happens. Look, look what he says to Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is, my chosen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Ananias knows Saul's future before Saul does. So, he, you know, Saul's already had two visions from God. But maybe his life's calling is going to be explained to him by a guy. Okay, for I will show him, verse 16, I will show him how how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias, you're worried that, that Saul's going to make you suffer? I will show him how much he will have to suffer. I don't have too much time to... To, um, to spend on this, but um, it's always good for a drive-by shooting at the prosperity gospel when it's ever in the text. 
People who believe that the Christian life means that nothing goes wrong for you, that things are always great, that you're always ahead, that financially you're always, the things, if you're living according to God's way, everything's always great. Not so. <laughs> here, right here, Jesus had to suffer, remember? And here he's saying to his apostle, to this man that he's going to send out on this mission, I will show him how much he has to suffer. Remember, Paul writes in Philippians 3, Oh, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection to share in his sufferings. So that's, that is a part of what's coming in Saul's life. Scene two. So scene one, a bad man is shown the light and is blinded. Scene two, a good man is shown the gospel and he obeys. Now scene three, the good man and the bad man are brothers. Wow. Verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. He obeys. See that? He just goes. God said go, he goes. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now in verse 13, Ananias said to God, Hey God, I've heard about this man. This man. Look at the change from this man to Brother Saul. This might be one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you, on the road by which you came. <laughs> Saul, you were going to a place. You had a plan. He, Christ intervened. So Ananias is aware of Saul's vision like the traveling companions aren't. Ananias says that I was sent so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. Something like scales fell from his eyes. Did they make sounds when they hit the ground? What, what is that? I love it. It's, remember, who, who's writing the story? What's his name? Luke, right? Remember what Luke does for a living? Yeah, so whenever there's like a healing story, Luke is always like, wait, wait, how exactly, how exactly did that go down? He just was blind and now he could see him. Was there something, you know, the, the man gets healed and it says the muscles were strengthened in his ankle and in his knees. And Luke's like, very interesting, ankles and knees. So here's another example of that healing. Ah, then he rose and was baptized. Oh, just to um, remember, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this because I can't quite put all of this together. It might be a slight stretch. Just say, that might be a stretch. That might be a stretch, okay? But it says something like scales. What are scales, what animal are scales associated with? Snakes, right? And remember, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. Where is it? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So is Paul describing that moment where the, the scales of the snake the God of this world had kept him from seeing the light of the gospel and now he can see? That might be a stretch. Maybe not. He, he rose and was baptized. Conversion and baptism closely linked in the New Testament. They're synonymous all the time. And taking food, he was strengthened. So remember we said that the three days and not eating was pictures of his like, um, death. That Saul was done to these old ways. He was starting over. And now he's taking food. Remember when Jesus rose? He's trying to prove to his disciples that I'm alive. He's like, he, they're like, they're, they're not sure if he's a ghost. And one of the things he said was, uh, you guys got something to eat? 
I'm hungry. Like, oh. So taking food is one of the ways that Jesus proved that he was alive, and it's one of the ways that we see Paul's new life. Ah, so amazing. Okay, so he was, for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. That's probably when Ananias rolled out some of the plan to him. Like, hey, God said that you were going to have to suffer for him, like to the Gentiles. Wow. Okay, so that's the story. That's some of the details on the story. That's the three acts of the story. Amazing. It's done for our example. First Timothy says that this story is given to us as an example. So what's an example of? Well, let me pull out three main principles, examples for us in this story. Okay? And, uh, boy, this, is, this, is, this beats my heart. This beats my heart. Point number one, salvation is from the Lord. Do not despair. Salvation is from the Lord. Do not despair. Here's Paul's story, okay? Paul, Saul, same guy, is such a racist insider, Pharisee, that he can't even consider the fact that the gospel is breaking out revival style in Samaria. Remember, he goes around to go to Damascus because he doesn't, where's he going? He's only going to the synagogue. That's the one place that it's probably going to be clean to go to, right? And what does God decide? Here's the new plan. You're too racist to go to the, Samar- to the Samaritans. And we're going to change that. We're going to completely change that. We're going to take you, racist insider, and uh, let's take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and let's rewire you and let's give you a heart for the nations. Because now the guy who was blind can now see and will now shine the light to the entire world. Now you're going to change your name from Saul, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, your favorite country, to Paul, which is a Gentile name. And you're going to declare the truth of the gospel in Athens. You're going to go to the nations. You're going to go into the homes of Gentiles. You're going to be held in front of Gentile kings. You are going to be imprisoned in Gentile prisons. You are going to stand in front of a Roman empire, emperor, and he's going to cut your head off with a smile on your face. This is, who, this is who God decides to send. The story of Saul is an amazing story. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's similar to my story, except not quite as cool yet. I'm hoping maybe I can get there. When I was in, um, I was in eighth grade, I'd, I'd accepted Christ, you know, beside my bed after Awana one night with my mom and her Bible, that whole story, when I was like four I was in eighth grade. I was on a youth group event. Didn't want to go for reasons that I can't go into now. Didn't want to go. Didn't want to be there. We were leaving that church. I was just, why am I here? A speaker was talking. I wasn't into him at all. And my ADD brain just started to wander. And I thought to myself, I'm leaving this church because my parents are leaving this church. Next thought in my head, if my parents walked away and decided they weren't going to be Christians anymore, would I still be a Christian? And the Lord, like, right in that moment, little eighth grader brain, just spoke into my heart. Everybody else listening to some other guy just talking, I remember that his name was Clyde. That's the, I don't remember what he was speaking on. I don't think I even heard a word of what he said. The Spirit was just shining a light into me. Oh, my goodness. I, I can feel it like it was yesterday. And he said, you're mine. You are mine. And even if your parents decide to not follow me, you are mine. And I decided that, 
I made my faith my own that night. There was no card to fill out at the end. That wasn't the point of what anybody was saying. It just grabbed me. The Holy Spirit just grabbed me and changed me. Now, if you were to say, well, God did that because he saw something in you, I would um, lovingly say that you were mistaken and um, doubt your sanity because I was so uninterested. Paul, Saul, same guy, was uninterested, was uninterested, hard-hearted, shriveling up, running away from the gospel. So do you have somebody in your life that's like that? You have a prodigal son? Do you have a a sister-in-law who's walked away from the Lord? Maybe you got some bad news this week. Oh, this thing, it looked like she was getting better towards the gospel, and now she's really walking away. She is on a road to Damascus. Okay. Okay. God can get her there. Do you believe that? Salvation is from the Lord. It does not, like, have, have some faith here. This is, this is an example to you that the chief of sinners, running racist, insider, chief of sinners, had his heart grabbed by the resurrected Christ, changed in a moment. Can that be you? Could that be you tonight? Are you running away from God? Can't figure out why you're here? Maybe you're coming to Damascus. You don't know why you're here. Maybe God's just going to grab you. Listen. Salvation is from the Lord. This whole thing is His. Okay? So, here's, there's a little like, like discussion going on right now. What about, um, what about really good people? Do they belong to God? Can you see how this is a little ridiculous about, let's just say, Gandhi, for example. Is it Gandhi in heaven or hell right now? If that was like a question that was being asked. One of the things would be, how can you say somebody as good as Gandhi could possibly be in hell? How could you say that? Well, I can say that the exact same way that I can say someone as bad as me could possibly get to heaven. It's because being a part of God's kingdom is not because you're like the summa cum laude of morality in this world. It's not like the top 10% best people in the world get into heaven, and those are God's people. And the rest of us, the 90%, well, we were close. Let's try again later. Here's what it is. It's an example of God's grace. Listen, when we get to heaven, three surprises. Three surprises coming. Surprise number one, you will see some people there that you thought were not going to be there. All right? Just think, remember thief on the cross. In his final moments, he's like, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is like, I'll see you later. Remember? So what people, maybe, on their deathbeds, turn to God that, we, that you don't know? You will see some people in heaven that you'll be like, are you kidding me? Guess what? They didn't have to earn their way there. Did they trust in Christ? There, they're there. Secondly, you will, see, you will not see some people you expected to be there. The, the, where's that guy? Where's mission trip girl? Where's the guy who brought the brought study Bible all the time? He was over at Starbucks every day with his Bible. Just a hint, if you're, people who do their quiet time at Starbucks are probably trying to be seen doing their quiet time. Just throwing that out as somebody who used to do that. Listen. <laughs> Listen, sometimes the people you think, for sure, this person, for sure, not there. Surprise number one, some people will be there you did not expect. Some people won't be there you did expect. Surprise number three, when you see the holiness of God, you will be surprised that you're there. Honestly, 
when you figure out, like, wait a minute, this is who he is? Fall on your face as though dead, casting crowns. That's why all those people in the Bible are just shocked, jaw-dropping. I'm here? Salvation is from the Lord. Do not despair. Secondly, God uses people. Don't miss your chance, okay? How about this? Saul gets two visions in, in this story. He gets the vision on the Damascus Road. He gets to see the resurrected Christ. That's one of the greatest visions in the entire, in the entire Bible. And he gets, he, later on he's going to see this. Remember he sees the vision of Ananias coming. But guess how he finds out about the, the role to the Gentiles? His main mission for the rest of his life. Some guy named Ananias tells him. Well, why didn't Jesus just heal him himself? Boom. Why didn't he just say, okay, three days, that's enough. You're healed. Why did he wait for a guy named Ananias to come? And who's Ananias? Well, here's why. A couple things. God is very kind. And what do you think Saul's heart is doing right at the moment when he realizes the people that he's been persecuting persecuting and binding and throwing into prison? He's got pictures in his mind right now. That lady, remember it said men and women, that lady that I grabbed and I brought to the chief priests, did they stone her? Her blood is on my hands. That guy, that father, the kids, he was so excited about this story five minutes ago, and now he's horrified by it. So here's one of the kindnesses of God. God says, here, Ananias would have been one of the guys that you would have thrown into jail. He's going to come over. He's going to put his hand on you and say, Brother Saul, same team. We're together. God is now our father. We are together. Ah. Oh. God uses people. Don't miss your chance. Neil's six-square gospel outline he shared with us a couple weeks ago about speaking up for God, taking somebody's story, finding where they are on his... I didn't know the gospel was like a Sudoku. I was like, wow, Neil, that's amazing. Is there an app for that? Because I think that could help. Um, but listen, like speaking up your part, like here's the gospel, here's somebody. Be Ananias. Sometimes God shows up with lightning and with light, and sometimes he's got something for you to do. Speak up. God uses people. Don't miss your chance. Thirdly, we all still need the gospel. Don't stop now. We all still need the gospel. Don't stop now. We need to work the gospel into our hearts, and we need to work it out in the world, in and out. We need to pound the, our, the gospel into our hearts. Like, here's my dorky analogy for it. Um, vending machines, you guys got vending machines where you put, like, you know, try to get the bill flattened, and then you put it in, and then it goes, and it doesn't come, and then it comes back out, and then you get it in, and then, okay, Cheetos. So you're like, C6, and, and it stops, and the Cheetos are in there. Okay? Dorky analogy. This is you, all right? The gospel has gone in to some of you. But the fruit of the gospel has not come out yet. Right? How do you get the Cheetos out of a vending machine like that? You shake it. Right? So this is one of the things that Crossroads is trying to do. One of the things Crossroads is trying to do is like smack you 
a little bit to try to get the fruit of the gospel, like tamping you. Careful, you could fall on us. We know it's okay. We're like, uh, we're trying to get, we're trying to work the gospel into our hearts. Do you, do you do this to yourself sometimes? You just catch yourself, you know. Uh, here's one from a hypothetical situation. Me um, at Target, and my kids are like acting up and being a little crazy. And I don't really want to engage. I'd rather just silently push my way through the electronics department until I see someone look at them, and suddenly I don't want to appear like I'm a bad dad. I don't want them to think poorly of me. So I'm like, Ethan, I've told you a thousand times not to do that. And suddenly, like, wait a minute. Is that the gospel? Why am I so short-tempered with my son? Why do I only really care if he's acting well when people are watching him? Why am I so concerned about that, my reputation with that person? What is going on? Bang, bang. I just start knocking on my heart. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where's the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Spirit, fill me and dwell me. May I be characterized. May I be filled with you. May I be characterized by you. May you be the outpouring. May you be my first response. Work the gospel in and work the gospel out. Sometimes, you know, you know, the gospel just it needs to come out of you. You gotta pour, you gotta work it out in your external, your external world. It's not just something that's internal. Ananias had to walk over and put his hands on a guy that he that was coming to kill him. Brother Saul, he's working the gospel out. Fantastic. And the gospel gives us peers. I, I said this in the, the first time I ever spoke at at Crossroads. <sighs> But one of the biggest problems in our entire world is that we're lonely. We're lonely. You could have 1,200 Facebook friends. You could have a really dear couple of friends. You could have, um, you could be in a mall full of people and be lonely. You could be sitting next to a spouse and be lonely. You could be unmarried and be lonely. We are all lonely people. It's just the truth. I can say that and, and know in my own heart I have a lot of rich relationships around me, but I'm lonely. Here's one of the reasons why. It's because the way that you value your life, unless it's the gospel, cuts people in half. It cuts the world into two groups. If you value yourself by how much money you make, then people who, then this is you right here at the half court line. The people who make more money than you, that can be you guys, I idolize them. Wow, they're so great. Oh my goodness, why can't I be more like them? What, how can I be more like them? The people who make less money than me, I look down on. Oh man, what's their problem? How come they don't work very hard? Let's switch that around. You guys can be good next. Let's say that you've, your whole value system in life is, is um, um, your own set of moral rules. Like, oh, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do do this, I, I do my quiet time um, on twice a day and I pray for 30 minutes. Well then, the peop, if that's your value in life, that's how you decide how good of a person you are, there's people who do that. Well then the person who prays for an hour and a half is amazing, I idolize them, I want to be like them and I'm not. And the people who don't pray every day, oh man, what's their problem? How come they're not serious? Do you see how that does that? This is how your heart works. It's called... Spurgeon called it, it's an idol factory. It's always taking things that are important to you and making them central. And it divides the world and you, there's nobody at your half court with you. This is just you. 
oh man, I idolize these people and I despise these people and it's just me in the middle. Not so the gospel. Not so the gospel. When Jesus Christ is most important to you, you get brothers. You get friends. You get community. You get rich relationships. You don't, there's not like, well, this person is more of a Christian than me, so I idolize. No, there's no more than a Christian than you. Saul's in the kingdom for five minutes after a, a previous career of persecution, blaspheme, um, um, uh, murder, blood on his hands, Stephen's blood on his hands, brother Saul, right away. There's no more or less Christian. Brothers, sisters, together, we are a family because of what the gospel does for us. Let's pray. Our great God, we are so amazed at what you have done. Just the story that we read in your scripture about how you changed the life of Saul and made him into the Apostle Paul. God, what hope that gives us. What, how that thrills us to know that, that we can be changed, that the people around us can be changed, that nothing's ever over. Jesus, because you have risen from the dead, there's, there's nothing that's over, that nothing's beyond your reach. Thank you that, that you have decided in your great love to show mercy to us. God, why me? Why did you break through my world and, and rescue me? I don't know. And I decide to put my hand over my mouth in that search, and I decide to lift my eyes to you, Jesus, and I choose to celebrate you and to celebrate your great work in our hearts and the people that you have rescued. It's our privilege to worship you now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.